Amen. Amen. Thank you, worship team. Uh, as we begin, uh, last week, uh, hard to believe, last week we had our annual meeting and uh, had a congregational vote. We're a congregational form of government. And so uh, we vote on the budget presented by the elders to the congregation, and it passed. And uh, so now we're excited for a new year going forward. And one of the things we did, um, there's, a, there's a burn mark right here on the carpet. Um, uh, someone had the smart idea that we should have a, uh, we should burn the mortgage and have some type of device here to... Um, Put those papers in and who would have thought it would have got hot and like singed the carpet i mean those details those details matter but just looking back we have three goals we talked about uh at the annual meeting three goals and i just want to go through those briefly just as we look ahead i hope this first one sounds familiar we we want to continue to see our tactics uh under this umbrella of deprofessionalizing ministry we want to see ourselves as everyday missionaries in our monday to saturday your work matters your work that you go to Monday to Friday, maybe Saturday, matters significantly to our God. And the way you work and the way you reflect your faith on the people you interact with are watching. Uh, your work matters in seeing ourselves as everyday missionaries, uh, ministers of the gospel everywhere we go. Because sometimes it feels like there's this two-tiered system. Sometimes it feels like there's the people that believe, and then there's the people that actually like, live this stuff out. Right? They, they actually, it leads them to pursue additional things of the Christian life, seeking, trusting, loving, crying out, taking refuge in, delighting in God, and sharing their hope with others. And, and we put them in this special class of teachers, of missionaries, of pastors, of prayers, of whatever it might be. Rather, what we see consistently in the scripture is this one-tier system that once you come to faith, it is a further up, further in, ongoing, sanctifying journey, and there's this one tier of followers of Jesus uh, not just intellectual assent, but actually applying these truths to our lives. And so just continued emphasis on what that looks like. Every week, every week, one of the ways that gets expressed, we want to send and commission you back out every week as everyday missionaries in your workplace, in your sphere of influence, in your homes, in your neighborhoods. So sphere of influence might be a dirty diaper every single day, maybe three or four of them every single day, and that matters for eternity. And so uh, second, but this view, right? What we see is discipleship. Someone who follows Jesus, builds community, and seeks transformation. Second, another goal that we looked forward to the year, this increased alignment of values. Uh, as people who are free, what does it look like for us to continue to grow? I love this quote by Moa Mancini. He says, the very reason we have programs is to develop and equip people to practice ministry outside the program. If programs are not doing that, they're not doing their job. It's a sense of being equipped, developed, empowered, and then released. And so what does that look like? We care deeply about the connection of God's people within small and mid-sized groups. We love the Sunday morning gathering. The Sunday morning gathering is essential for our ongoing spiritual transformation. We gather as a body, but we think there's value in the smaller, more intimate groups to continue to process and develop these ideas that we wrestle through. And then we highly value the impact Hillcrest can have in the community we've implanted. We gather as the saints on Sunday, but we never lose sight of those that are looking for hope all around us. And we get to be invested in their spheres of influence, in their turf. And uh, Christmas feels like a pretty significant time where that might yet manifest. So how do we continue to align our resources in a way? And then third, this singe mark 
marks that the mortgage is paid off, and so we have no plans to jump straight back in. Rather, we want to take a year to just ask the question, God, what are you doing with our campus to facilitate the needs of our community as well as a sense of where we're going? Because our vision is to inspire multi-generational communities, plural, towards this following Jesus, building community and seeking transformation. That communities, plural, What's that look like and how might that manifest itself? We have communities all over that then gather on Sundays. We love the idea of life beyond just our one singular Hillcrest community. So what does that look like? We want to spend a year just reflecting more on that. And then in two minutes, there you go, or four minutes, you got the annual meeting. You feel good about it? You didn't even have to show up. You just got the accelerated version there. Um, but we're going to spend today, it's going to be like a two for one. Twofer. We get to reflect on First Peter and then look ahead to the summer series. It's like two sermons for one. What a deal, guys. I don't feel your excitement at that reality, you know. <laughs> to, <laughs> thank you, Aaron. So, so I love, there's a quote, an illustration from Francis Chan that I think helps capture where Peter ends his letter. So we're going to spend a little time reflecting. Um, and, and Peter says this the very end of his letter, he says, and after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To him be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. By Silvanus, a faithful brother as I regard him, I have written briefly to you. It might not have felt briefly over the past year, but Peter says, I have written briefly to you, exhorting and declaring that this is the true grace of God. And he summarizes his letter in what? He says, this is the true grace of God. And so there's an illustration that Francis Chan, if I had something better, I'd give it to you. But I love what Francis does because he says, so often in our world, we're, we're asked to think about the temporary. We're consumed with the present. What, what is immediately present on our minds and we lose sight of the future. He gives this illustration. He says, imagine there's a rope, and this black part of the rope is like our lives. And we spend a lot of our lives consumed with our day-to-day -day experience. Uh, you know, I haven't mowed my lawn in three weeks. <laughs> you know, I look at my neighbor, and I go, well, he's out there mowing about every other day, and this guy's out there every week. I'm just trying to get by and make sure my lawn doesn't look terrible, right? And, and you just, the day-to-day -day grind of bills that might need to be paid, of the experiences or circumstances, the things we wake up and, and go to bed sleeping about, and, and we lose sight of eternity. He says this future, our life here, and yet this rope. Imagine if this rope just went on forever. It ends by the speaker. But just imagine with me that it just goes on forever. And we are consumed with the circumstances here. And, and we often think, well, if I just save enough money here, then I would be able to live a little bit more freely here in this part of the rope right here. And we lose sight of actually the future. And the temptations are real, right? We are confronted in a world that does not think beyond the circumstances we're in. Peter has been relentlessly pressing us to lift our eyes and say, do you see the true grace of God that is offered? Both in this life, but also for the next. And so... I hope this looks familiar at this point, but we're just going to look back and review a few of those texts 
and then spend a little time reflecting on what Peter has shared with us. So Peter has challenged us to live out our new identity in Jesus in the midst of a needy and watching skeptical and at times hostile world for the sake of God's glory. He's not unaware of the circumstances of our life. He's not unaware of the reader's challenges in their life. But he says, live in light of this true grace that is offered. And so he, he, he just wrecked us for two chapters on our identity. Here's what he said. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed at the last time. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while. How long is a little while? Feels like a lot longer sometimes. Feels like it's a lot longer. How long is a little while, he says? Our life. And then comes eternity. Life is short and eternity is very, very long. In this you rejoice. So now for a little while, if necessary, you've been grieved by various trials. So that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory at the honor of revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible. How would you express that joy? With joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Therefore, Preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. There is grace that he has in mind. Set your hope fully on that grace. And then, since you've been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and abiding word of God, there is a confidence, there is a security that he's trying to anchor our lives in. And he continues, like newborn infants long for pure spiritual milk, that by it you may grow up into salvation if you have indeed tasted that the Lord is good. That we long to saturate our lives in the text, to hear from the God of the universe that he loves us and our identity and status is in him, not in what our coworker might think of us. You know, you start living, you start living for this part of the rope. Some people might look at your decisions and go, well, that was a terrible decision. If you're thinking for just this part of your life and you're not viewing the rest of eternity. He continues, but you, you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. And then in Hosea, he says, quoting Hosea, once you were not my people, one of the names of Hosea's kids, how would you like to be named not my people? You just think, maybe, maybe you don't really like the name your parents gave you. Just imagine if your parents decided to name you not my people. Just, uh, who's this? Oh, this is not my people. And then this is no mercy. This is my other kid, no mercy. I mean, <laughs> once, you had not, once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you receive mercy. He just presses us on our identity. And then he makes a shift. You guys remember how he made that shift? There's a profound shift. He says, so how now shall I live? How do I actually live this identity out? 
he shifts to our conduct. And you ever give news to people that you're not sure how they're going to receive? You know, you kind of package like a nice little sandwich on one side, and then you hit them with the roast beef, and then you give them a nice little piece of bread in the other. He starts what he thinks is not going to be received as well on us, and he says, beloved, beloved, I care about you. This news I'm going to give, I care about you. I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of your visitation. And then he begins unpacking how we might live. He says, be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor supreme or to governor sent by him to punish those who do evil and appraise those who do good. We just got to hear last week from Mackenzie and Cody who shared a little bit about how that text landed on them as they were trying to live out this ongoing spiritual transformation. And then he says, when they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to, a, to him who judges justly. This non-retaliatory life, does that mean be passive? Does that mean just get walked over? Instead, it's this conviction to stand. Stand, right? Don't be passive, but stand. And then he continues, likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands, so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives. Likewise, Husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as a weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so your prayers may not be hindered. If you're an unbelieving woman married to an unbelieving spouse, how might your husband come to know Jesus? Through your continually modeling this life of Jesus being better. And then husbands, love your wives, celebrate your wives, care for your wives. 1 Peter 3, 8 to 12, for the eyes of the Lord are the righteous and his ears are open to their prayer, but the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. This continued pressing of this stuff matters for our life. And then, for it is better to suffer for doing good, if it should be God's will, than doing evil. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God. The gospel in a verse. If there's any verse you're going to memorize, John three sixteen, that might have been what you memorized. 1 Peter 3.18, this radical, radical picture that Christ died. Man, I think I'm a pretty good dude, right? I, I do good stuff. I'm fairly good. I'm a nice guy, but that guy over there, he's a knucklehead. Christ shouldn't die for him. And yet there's this sense of, do I understand the depravity in my own life? No one is too far gone. And so this idea, Christ suffered once for sins. And then he's about to make one more turn in his letter. The end of all things is at hand. It's been 2,000 years. What do you mean the end of all things is at hand, Peter? It's been 2,000 years since Jesus returned. What are you talking about? Do you believe that at any moment you could be entering eternity? This is it. This vapor. Peter continually tries to press us. Do you live in light of eternity? Life is short and hell is hot, get after it, right? What are you living for? The end of all things is at hand. And then he makes one more turn. Does it feel like, man, pursuing Jesus is sometimes challenging? Peter says, endure. Here's what he says. He makes one more turn, and he knows how this is going to land on us. Beloved, 
Do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you, but rejoice insofar as you share in Christ's suffering. And then he says there's some guys that model and care about this stuff. So I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness to the sufferings of Christ. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you. And don't be surprised that there's an, uh, another agent in this process looking to tear you down. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Resist him, firm in your faith. Right? The, the devil doesn't care how rich or poor you are, right? He didn't care what kind of car you drive. He didn't, he didn't care about where you live, what job you have. What does he care about? He wants your faith. Right? He wants to sift you like wheat. He wants your faith. Resist him, firm your faith, knowing that eternity matters. And so here's one, here's one quote from one of our people that shared their reflection on 1 Peter towards the end of the letter. With the struggles I have had, I found so much huge power in prayer, right when bad thoughts come into my thinking. This is what I pray. Oh God, thank you so much for your love and your power. Satan, you have no power over me. I am covered by the blood of Jesus, the Son of God. Then I picture Satan recoiling as I say the, as I say the same in the name of God and in the name of Jesus, like he can't stand it. Satan, I command you to get out of my thoughts. You have no power and no place here. You have no power over me. I'm covered. I am anchored. My identity is found. I'm thinking of this grace yet to be revealed. I find myself saying this with so much confidence and knowing how much I have the power of the Holy Spirit within me. If I have to, I say it more than once and keep praising our God while doing it. I find so much joy and peace by praying this. Usually, the trouble starts with anxious, worried thinking. God, help me. God helps me intervene. I feel the confidence of God. I am glad we took so much time studying First Peter. Here's what we're going to do. We're going to pause for about three minutes. I'm going to invite Jack up to, to play some music behind us. We're going to pause and, and flip over those notes. There's a space. I'd encourage you, reflect on some of these verses. You're going to see them scroll through. Reflect on, don't make this just something that just passed us by. Because it's not about information, right? It's about transformation. We want these ideas to actually saturate our lives and our thinking. And so we're just going to pause and reflect for a little bit. Write something down for you that has stood out over 1 Peter that God might have done in your life. sing a song over you. Um, the aim is, some people I know like to have some sort of melody that um, helps them remember the truth that, uh, and helps them stick with that. So I'm going to just sing a few lines of songs that we are familiar with. Um, you're more than welcome to join me, or you're more than welcome to stay in your notes and continue to reflect. Jesus, Messiah. 
God, thank you for the work that you've done in our heart and life through your words through Peter. Uh, may you continue to deepen and plant these promises and realities and truths in our heart, and may we live them out a little bit more fully this coming uh, summer and year. Always for your glory, we pray. Amen. Amen. So as we wrap up First Peter, we are also looking ahead to a summer where we are asking and wrestling with this idea, together we believe. And so one of the places to start is asking this question, so what forms us? What, what, is, what is forming you? Um, and, and for me, there's three T's that help capture what it is that's forming us. And they feel like they flow out of this fundamental quote. A guy named A.W. Tozer said this. He said, what comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. That what we conceive and wrestle with and believe to be true about our God is the most important thing about who we are. Peter told us about our identity in him, that he ransomed our souls that he is this creator and sustainer. The first thing, what comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. And so what forms us then out of that is where we spend our time, our treasure, and our talent. Where you spend your time, I could tell you a lot about what you care about. 
Where you spend your money and your resources, if you looked at my bank account, you could reveal very quickly what David and Casey care about with the way we spend and allocate our resources and how we use and leverage our talent, right? What, what you are good and gifted at, how God has wired you. If you want to hoard that to yourself, I mean, this is a lot about what is forming you. Where you spend your time, your treasure, and your talent. What is forming you? What you ponder and pursue begins to form us. And so we (laughs) see that expressed in two primary ways where you engage the mind and awaken the heart. That what we believe about begins to get expressed and lived out in our life. So what happens if you discount one of those two sides? If you discount awakening the heart. You guys ever been to Yellowstone? You guys ever driven through Yellowstone? It's like the first national park. Love it. I got great memories there. And I, when you drive through, what do you see? What do you see? What? <laughs> Say it one more time, Katie. Gray. You see gray? Gray. Because it smells Why? Well, the sulfur is one of them. I guess that could be one of them. I'm thinking more like the buffalo. Those <laughs> buffalo, man, they are everywhere. <laughs> but thank you, Katie, for giving me at least some engagement. Over here, Jerry's like, oh, man, David, where are you going with this metaphor about buffalo and Yellowstone? I mean, I mean, you drive through, you see animals, right? See the buffalo? I mean, I remember rolling down my window and my, you know, it's fantastic. The buffalo right here, my, my three-year-old's just screaming at me to roll up the window. She's like terrified of the buffalo. What does she want when we leave? She wanted a stuffed animal buffalo. <laughs> but, but you see these buffalo, you see elk, you see bears. And then what also do you see? You see people get out of their cars to take pictures of these things. And you go, I, I don't think you fully know what that thing can do to you, right? I mean, you could tell me all day long. You could tell me all day long, David, I know what a bear can do, right? I know what a bear is. But if you're out there snapping pictures and wanting to feed it a picnic basket, I'm just not sure you really understand what that bear can do to you. There's a danger what it feels like sometimes. <laughs> Anybody want to talk? Anyone want to pick up the phone? Should we, what if we started talking to him right now? How would that feel, Rashina? Rashina's good. All right, Rashina, we'll see you in a minute. <laughs> what, what would happen if we actually had an accurate understanding of those animals? Here's what it feels like sometimes. We engage our mind and we say these truths that we believe to be true about who God is. And yet there's this disconnect between our experience and our hearts. We claim these massive, awe-inspiring realities about who God is, and yet, and yet there's this disconnect in what, it, what our experience is in our day-to-day life. I think, though, the other side is also dangerous. If our mind is engaged, is not engaged, but our heart is awakened, I mean, have you guys ever... Just dealt with emotional thinkers. It's like a roller coaster, just dealing with them. I mean, it's like every idea, I mean, hot and cold one day to the next. I mean, it's a roller coaster. And yet our emotions matter significantly. But if they're disconnected for our thinking, that's a pretty dangerous place to be. Because I'm now guided by what feels true for me. 
who determines what is actually the best way to live. It's just contingent upon how I'm feeling today or how I feel tomorrow. That math suddenly becomes one plus one equals like a window. I mean, I just, I just feel like I want to embrace and look through and peer through the window of mathematics. No, what? one plus one equals two. There's a foundational reality. And so when we discount the mind, it actually is a dangerous posture to live as well. And so what we're trying to do is actually engage our minds and, and awaken our hearts in the way we live. And so the question for us is, are we aware of what's forming us? For us as a church family, we have something called the doctrinal statement. It's not just something we like have in like some closet somewhere that's kind of dusty and no one ever thinks about it. A doctrinal statement is actually fairly significant. It's a statement which quantifies an individual or group's core belief. It is the statement that forms us as a community and what we are guided by. Our statement of belief, our doctrinal statement. It's our doctrinal statement, a summary of our theology, our view of the character and nature of God as revealed in Scripture. And so we, we have a provisional statement right now that we are operating on. We think this is incredibly significant to who we are and what we're about. And we're beginning the conversation this summer for a year to ask the question, ought we revise this formative statement? That, that grounds us. And so as elders, we're asking, why would we refresh this statement? Here's, what, here's a four reasons why we're going to begin entering this process. That we think this kind of refreshing reminds us that the Bible alone is unchangeable. Not our statement of faith or any creed. We anchor our lives in the biblical text as our ultimate authority. It's, it's why every Sunday we read the text, Right? And when we study in life groups, you're not studying David's words. You're actually studying the words of Peter. You guys understand that I, I'm, I'm wrong from time to time, right? You guys believe that? Yes. Just, just ask Casey. <laughs> yes. Just, just ask Aaron or Casey. You'll find out very quickly. And yet we're moving together, right? And so we anchor our lives in the biblical text. Why would we refresh our statement? Because every doctrinal statement, including ours, is a human product and should never be given the role or status or authority of authority and permanence that is held by the Bible alone. You guys remember the Reformation like four or five hundred years ago where there was this sense that maybe one guy was beginning to interpret Scripture for everybody else? And so we think it, it, it reminds us that even as we put this together, this is a human product. And uh, third... We had a faithful guy 30 years ago plant Hillcrest and another faithful guy for the past seven, eight years-ish. Even those two guys have wrestled with this, that our current doctrinal statement as planted 30 years ago takes a narrow lens on a few tier two issues that when explored, we believe create a community that makes the doors to our church family narrower than the doors to heaven. And so three primary issues, that would be the age of the earth and spiritual gifts and uh, the end times perspective that we currently hold uh, make the doors to Hillcrest narrower than the doors to heaven. And so we want to wrestle with that. But we also believe this, that we want to provide a statement of faith that would better be better suited 
for the days ahead as a teaching tool to return to as we continue to be biblically saturated to address new issues relevant to our time and place and culture. We currently don't have as strong of a conviction on human sexuality, which feels like a fairly significant 30 years ago. Maybe it was less consequential. Feels pretty significant. And you'd be maybe surprised how many people ask to receive our doctrinal statement via email trying to explore who Hillcrest is. And so trying to clarify more fully about this deep conviction that God has revealed himself through his word and we want to live that out in our everyday experience. And so what a doctrinal statement is not though, it is not the inspired text and therefore does not have the authority of the word of God. That's why we continue to pursue becoming self-feeders and first-handers around here to hear from God through his word for ourselves. And, And there's this interesting comedian his name's Emil Phillips. Should we all bring back that haircut? You think that's a good thing to bring back? And, uh, and so he's got this interesting uh, story he tells. And uh, first service, it, I just fell on my face trying to do this. So if the video doesn't work, you're going to get another rendition from me. But I'm going to do it a lot sooner than I did in first service. I was like, first service, I was trying to play it out. It, so Emil Phillips The context is there's a guy on the Golden State Bridge about to jump off. And and again, eternity on the line. And Emo begins to have a conversation with him about why he shouldn't jump off the bridge. And he begins asking him uh, about God. And, And I feel like it has something very unique about even our positioning around these doctrinal ideas. Can you play the video, Tim? (laughs) all good i'm just gonna do it we'll just do it i'm gonna give my best rendition of emo he says i believe in god (laughs) all right so you could pause it and i'll I'll share it so it's a fascinating you should look it up online i'm not endorsing him as a comedian but this one particular sketch i thought was funny because he says this so he's on the golden gate bridge guys about to jump off and he pauses them and he says stop you you shouldn't do that. And the guy says, well, why? Well, he says, do you believe in God? And the guy said, yeah, I believe in God. And so Emo says, well, that's good. Well, are you a Protestant or a Jew? He says, well, I'm a Protestant. He says, good, me too. Well, are you a, are you a Baptist or are you a, a Methodist? Well, I'm a Baptist. Oh, me too. Or are you a, uh, a Northern Baptist or a Southern Baptist? Oh, well, I'm a, I'm a Northern Baptist. Oh, me too. Were you a Northern Conservative Baptist or a Northern Fundamental Baptist? Well, I'm a Northern Conservative Baptist. Oh, me too. Or are you a Northern Conservative Fundamental Baptist or are you a Northern Conservative uh, Liberal Baptist? Well, I'm a Northern Conservative Fundamental Baptist. Oh, me too. Are you a Northern Conservative Fundamental Baptist Great Lakes region? Or are you a Northern Conservative Baptist uh, Southern region? I'm a Northern Conservative Fundamental Baptist Great Lakes region. <gasps> Me too. Are you a Northern Conservative Fundamentalist Baptist Great Lakes region Council of 1812? Or are you a Northern Conservative Fundamental Baptist uh, Council of 1789? <gasps> Well, I'm a Northern Conservative Fundamentalist Baptist Great Lakes Region of the Council of 1812. 
And he says, die, heretic, and he pushes him off the bridge. And you go, feels like, feels like we've narrowed the gates to heaven. And so it feels like as we explore this doctrinal statement, that metaphor, there are people on that metaphorical bridge, and they, they may be convinced that they're not in based upon the way we've narrowed the doors to heaven. So why have a doctrinal statement? This stuff matters. What we believe and think about God matters. So why have a doctrinal statement? Because it clarifies the truths that are most significant. (laughs) First service felt so bad for me. I was up here like two minutes just sweating bullets trying to get that video to work. And probably on the second time we would have got it, huh? Huh, Clayton? Nope, nope. It was done. Why have a doctrinal statement? Because it clarifies the truths that are most significant. The salvific truths about what we believe about God. A.W. Tozer, what comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. I mean, but David, don't you know the Bucks are playing tonight? I mean, this is game four. This is kind of like a, like a big deal. They need to beat the Nets in order to continue to advance. I mean, don't you understand? I got like bills to pay. I mean, there's things that I have going on in my life that, I mean, it's just pressing things. You understand the guys on my left and right mow their lawn every single week? I mean, i got to make time for this stuff. What we spend our time, our treasure, and our talent on forms us. And what we believe to be true about God is the most important thing about us. Second, why have a doctrinal statement? It promotes the unity of the community of faith. That there is unity around these fundamental ideas. You guys ever read John 17? Jesus has a high priestly prayer. What he prays for us. And verse 26 stands out to me. Here's what Jesus prays to the Father. He says, That the love with which you, God the Father, have loved me, the Son, I want that love to be in them and I in them. That the love with which you have loved me may be in them and I in them. What's he saying? That the love with which God the Father has for his eternal son, that depth of love that he has for his son, he prays that we would love the son to the same extent. How far am I from that reality? Because I get caught up in squabbling about, are you Great Lakes region or the southern region? And, and we start drawing these lines instead of this depth and formative love for the Son that we rally around the blood of Jesus. And, and so this prayer, what does a doctrinal statement do? It, it provides a sense of unity that we are convinced and convicted of that this is the best way to live. Continues. Clarifies the truths that are most significant. It promotes the unity of our community. It helps others more quickly understand those truths about God which we believe are rooted in Scripture. When someone asks, hey, I want to see your doctrinal statement, it's not hidden somewhere like we're trying to prevent people from hearing about this. This, this is actually what forms us, what we gather around. It actually helps others more quickly identify, man, who are these Christians and what do they believe? And then, and encourages maturity by sharpening our focus on the essential truths of God. 
You know, I think of, uh, I think if uh, my house was burning. I love my dog. If my house was burning and I saved my dog, you guys would say, man, that was a good thing to do, David. But if I saved my dog over my wife, you'd go, David, I think you have your priorities a little bit skewed. We want to grow. We want to experience more confidence and a greater confidence in the grace that is to come. I want to, I want to have less attention in the things that seem to just dominate my life right here. You know, if I save here and I do this, then I'm going to have a really sweet life. I'm going to go on vacation. I'm going to have a wonderful time right here. And then comes eternity. As a community, we want to be encouraged and sharpened in our focus about what we're being formed by. So here's some takeaways. I hope, I hope First Peter, now that it's done, isn't just like, well, that's, I'm done. I would encourage you this week, go back and reread 1 Peter every day. Every day, David? I mean, I get, you know my schedule? Do you know what's going on in my life? And we're asking, what are we being formed by? And evaluate what forms us and what comes into our minds when we think about God. What are the things that come in our mind? Because there's this shift happening, feels like broadly, where the church exists to love and serve the world, and we begin moving away from the thing that actually anchors us, which is to live for God's glory in light of who He is. What comes into your mind when you think about God? Is it primarily about us and doing things, or is it primarily about Him and His work in us and working through us? What is it? What comes into our minds when we think about God? And so I hope as we start this series, we want to engage our minds. And so today, list the promises of God that are most meaningful to you. What are those? The ones that you anchor your life in. Is it the gospel we proclaim? Is it the Messiah we follow? Is it, is it the book we read? Is it the character of the God we serve? What, what are these truths and these promises that we anchor our lives in? Make a list of those. And then every day, think about that promise listed. Set your alarm. Set it for noon. Set it for 12. And at 12 p.m., briefly meditate on that promise you listed. Why 12? Did we just arbitrarily just pull that number out? Like, you know, at 12, that's a good number. There's 12 weeks this summer. 12 doctrinal ideas we're going to be working through. So every noon, I hope for the next 12 weeks, you're going to pull out your phone at at noon and, and continue to reflect and meditate on these promises. And then awaken the heart. This doesn't just stop with us, but here's my hope that we choose one person to pray that particular promise you're thinking about the day would be more fully experienced by them. Who's that one person you might actually say, God, I, I want them to experience more fully this truth and this reality. I want their mind awakened and I want their heart engaged. Or the other way around. And choose one person to talk through that particular promise you're thinking about and how it's impacting your life and theirs. What might it look like to spur on a conversation about the spirit we embrace or the intimacy we crave or the future we anticipate? These ideas we anchor our life in. Pick one of those and actually have a conversation. And then 
I hope this isn't just something that gets stuffed away and we see it on Sundays, but rather we're going to have a supplemental podcast series where our people are going to share their experiences of what God's doing in their life through each of these weeks. Every Wednesday on our weekly when it's released, if you're not subscribed to that yet, I would encourage you, put your email on that list to receive this weekly. And every week, one of our people are just going to process through these ideas in their heart. Listen, and maybe it, it stimulates something in your thinking and your heart as you hear someone else's story. And then, on the way out, are baller bands still a thing? They still are for me. So grab one of these baller bands on the way out. Put it on your wrist. If you'd prefer not to put it on your wrist, you just put it, put, it in your, uh, put it in your car. If you don't want to put it in your car, put it on your like, bathroom window or something. And it's just a reminder to actually pray, watch, and step this summer, always asking God, what are you inviting me into? And all it says on it, engaging the mind, awakening the heart. As a reminder, God, we believe you are active and present in our world. We want to pray and watch for your work and step into gospel opportunities whenever you bring them about. So pray with me as we get excited about this summer. God, you're so good. Thank you for who you are, your work in our lives. Engage our minds. Help us think deeply about who you are to anchor ourselves in your word week in and week out. Not just as some ethereal intellectual ascent for an ivory tower, but actually to inspire our hearts with the profound realities that you speak truth to us. Help us experience that a little bit more fully and close that gap of our thinking and our experience. Not just buffaloes to be observed, but actually to see the reality, to experience the reality of who you are a little bit more. Always for your glory, we pray. Amen.